Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 241, BGG Hotness. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. All right, everybody, we are talking about and... Anthony is letting us in on the hot games from BGG. So if you are a new listener and you're looking at the title and you're like, huh, BGG hotness, why would be a thing that I would want to listen to? Well, we are talking about the hottest games that everyone is playing, getting to the table and talking about. And it seems like people are just starting to get in on the fact that board gaming is a thing just ever so slightly. <laughs> I mean, we're we're a little ahead of them, 241 episodes. But yeah, it's nice of <laughs> nice of these news outlets, quote unquote, catching up with us. Yeah, it turns out that you could have a fun game at any pub or any restaurant or any coffee shop with board games. So breaking news, Anthony. Breaking news. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see one of these articles, I like part of me rolls my eyes and the other part of me is really happy and I can't tell which part wins. I, I guess it comes out in the podcast in the end. Like, how snarky am I going to be? <laughs> oh, I'm pretty snarky today. I guess I'm rolling my eyes a lot. I, you just never know. I just never know. <laughs> it's nice to see that everyone's sharing these different articles that go out, these little videos where these news reporters are just you know, oh, gosh darn, I can't believe these board games are so fancy out there these days. I'm just like, where are you guys? Like, have you been to anywhere? Because we're playing these anywhere and everywhere. So, yeah, that's kind of a thing. Not to mention Kickstarter, right? Like, 
you would think that if anything kind of triggered people to the fact that board game is huge, it would be Kickstarter. Although Kickstarter has its own controversies these days, right, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, we just talked about this before the episode. We can't really speak to it too much because we don't really know enough. But there's a whole bunch of like, we want to unionize and no <laughs> situation going on with Kickstarter. And, you know, anytime a, employees want to unionize and the company cracks down on it, it just doesn't look good for the company. Whatever the actual logistics and everything around that are, I don't really know. But there's a lot of articles about that going around. And yeah, I guess we'll see how it shakes out before I, I make an opinion. But it doesn't look great. Well, I think that's terrible. But for us, at the very least, there's something far, far, far worse. Is there not? <laughs> yeah. My gosh. I was ranting about this yesterday because we played a couple Simon games. But it's just obscenely stupid. And I, I don't I know a lot of people are backing this and good for you because you didn't get the things and now you can get them. But the, the Simon time vault travel thing, whatever they're calling it. I it's just like the dumbest, most facetious thing I've seen on Kickstarter in a long time. And I know it's probably just them trying to generate some cash flow because they've had some rough times of late, but they're like, hey, here's all this Kickstarter exclusive stuff that sells on eBay for hundreds of dollars. Guess what? We found some in our warehouse. So if you give us a whole bunch of money for stuff nobody really wants, like soundtracks, then we will let you in to possibly purchase these things, maybe depending on the order in which you get in. So I just, I can't even with this stupid Kickstarter. It reminds me of back in the day where they used to say, you need to buy this now or this movie will go back into the Disney vault and yeah. you'll never see it again, kids. And you're like, what? No, don't go away. You're my favorite movie. Nope. If you don't buy it now, you'll never see it again. And whoops, you know, two years later, there it is right out of the vault. <laughs> I thought there was a vault. Yeah. There's something about artificial scarcity that just really gets my hackles up. I don't know what it is. Like, and it's not just Simon, obviously. You mentioned Disney. They, they've been doing this for decades. That's like their business model. <laughs> so, sure. you know, the Nintendo does it all the time. They'll underprint stuff and there's just not enough copies to go around of like new consoles or video games or whatever it might be. And people are like, we want it because we can't find it. It's true. But the fact like the Guildmaster pledge from uh, the original Arcadia Quest Kickstarter, which at this point was five or six years ago, they still have it. And you can still get it through this Kickstarter, which means they clearly printed a bunch extra. I just, yeah. that's, that's so annoying. Yeah, I mean, you know, for all the good that Kickstarter does as far as being able to offer us products that we may not see otherwise, you mentioned the artificial scarcity, you know, the Kickstarter exclusive. You know, this game will never come to retail market if you don't buy it now with all of its expansions and all of its promos and all of this and all of that. So that has been, you know, it's dampered if at the very least, if not just ruined uh, a lot of the fun that came along with actually purchasing a game or supporting a project. hundred percent. Yeah. It's just at this point, I, I know a lot of people still do and I support, like if you are in on this and you want those things, it's good. I'm glad that you have the opportunity to get them. But like for me, someone who's seen all these Kickstarters and been there the whole time, it, it is a little bit of a, I don't know, backhanded slap. <laughs> like, hey, I know you jumped in on this early, but, you know, uh, we're going to let other people buy it later. So too bad. 
I know there was some backlash when there was a recent Kickstarter or a, I don't know, would you call it a refresh or a reboot or a reimagining of Blood Rage? And people were like, well, I thought the stuff that I bought was exclusive and you couldn't find it anywhere. Or I paid a ridiculous amount of money for these promos that supposedly I couldn't get anywhere else. And now you're just reprinting them without a problem or an issue a couple years later. So, yeah, well, they're slightly different. They're slightly different. Ever like, so all... legally, legally distinct different? <laughs> yeah, it's like the exact same cards, basically, but it's slightly different artwork and the molds are all slightly different. So it's like Wolf Woman, not Wolf Man. Like, ah. okay but it's the same figure that does it the is. same thing in the game guys suck a little bit just a little bit all right but we're going to talk about things that do not suck on this episode and we're going to talk about some great games some acquisition disorders things that we do want you to know about that are upcoming or are currently available because there's a lot of good stuff to be had to get to the table but anthony before we get into all that great stuff let's talk about the stuff that we are doing we had two recent contests, so why don't you bring us up to date and tell us about our winners? Yep. So we had two contests last week. Um, we had our regular Patreon contest that we do every single week, and the winner of that was Andrew Warchett, who answered all of our questions correctly uh, in our recent scavenger hunt. So we had eight different questions, things like game with at least four unique additions, author whose work is featured in three plus board games. Uh, hobby board game with a Disney variant, highest rated game on BGD that's out of print, like things you could find, but maybe it'll take a little bit of time. And he will get a game from the list that we send him from Game Surplus of his choice. So congratulations to Andrew for getting all those correct. Uh, it's I know it's difficult to dig around and find those answers sometimes. It's because I have to find the questions and it takes me time to find them. <laughs> so I understand. <laughs> Uh, our other contest, which was open to everybody, and this was after our recent review of City of the Big Shoulders, uh, we gave away a copy or are giving away a copy of City of the Big Shoulders to Brandon Taylor. So Brandon was one of nearly 500 entries we had on this contest, which is wow. fantastic. So who says people don't like heavy euros? Boom. There you go. Right. <laughs> uh, so he's going to get a copy of City of the Big Shoulders sent his way for not only entering the contest, but sharing it with some of his friends and just generally helping us get the word out about the review and just the game in general. So uh, that was a lot of fun. We had a lot of people write in and kind of tell us a little bit of information, you know, about the review that we sent and some of their comments and their feedback and just questions about the game. It was a lot of fun. So make sure you stay tuned because we do these kind of contests all the time. All right, so if you'd like to jump in on those contests, and we wish you would, check us out at patreon.com slash BGA, our weekly contest, our weekly game giveaway, and of course, all our social media sites where you can find out new and upcoming information about BGA, our contests, our content, videos, additional podcasts. Every night is game night, articles, everything that you could possibly want, on all of your social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on BoardGameGeek. And if you haven't already, everybody's got a YouTube account. Check us out there. Subscribe so you'll get the podcast there as well. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with BGA. Let's get on to our listeners. What's our question of the week? All right. Yeah, I asked everybody what the most underrated game they thought had a rating below below a thousand or above a thousand however you want to say it but worse than 1000 on board game geek <laughs> uh, i'm going to say it the way i wrote it and as well as the way as i meant it 
Um, so basically, what games that are not in the top 1,000 do you think people should know about? So Chris mentioned Dice Hospital and Sprawlopolis, both being um, off of the 1,000 mark. And they're, they have their fans, of course, but they're generally underrated. Martin mentioned Seikatsu. It's a fun tile-laying game where you're trying to score immediately for chaining birds together. And that's one I've seen a little bit, haven't had a chance to play, so it's kind of cool to see this pop up there. Tommy mentions a game that's rated 4,157, which is fantastic. It's Wrath of Dragons. I have not heard of this game, but I, this is why I posted this question, because I love these things that just pop up way, way down the list that <laughs> like we wouldn't have seen, flew ever, under everybody's radar. That's, so that's a lot of fun. Um, for me personally, I, I chose a game, Tramways, that I've talked about this before, but it's one of my favorite games that I know a lot of people aren't talking about. It's like Album Viard's he does like small city and, and those kind of games recently clinic was on Kickstarter, but this is my favorite of his games because of the really unique uh, deck building mechanic that it uses with these cards with like multi uses in them. Uh, so that's definitely one worth checking out. Chris, what about you? What game that is super, super far off the top 1000 or even just a little outside uh, are, are you a fan of? There's a lot of good games here and, and that's, what's really surprising about this list. You would think that past 200 or past 300, you probably wouldn't get very many good games. I actually have a lot of good games. So just to rattle them off pretty quickly, a game that probably has not gotten the attention, but is currently on Kickstarter, which we already talked about, Obsession. It just probably hasn't gotten in enough hands, but it really should get in your hands. It is currently ranked 1,129. That is ridiculous. Knock off a thousand off that and enjoy that game. It's great. A game that Anthony and I love, we've actually met over playing this game. This was Revolution. This was by our friend Philip DuBerry from Steve Jackson Games. It's a little bit of an older game from 2009. It's ranked 1,133. Again, knock off a thousand. And you're probably pretty right as far as this game's concerned. It's a great blind bidding game with an area control mechanic that's still a lot of fun. A game that I really enjoy, and it's all about putting together these grand displays of athleticism, Castell. You have these climbers that are building these different, I guess for a lack of a better term, a human tower. Well, it's a lot of fun. And again, 1,144, knock 1,000 off, and you got a right spot for this game as well. And then finally, uh, Kalamala, 1,203. Uh, fantastic game. Really enjoy this a lot. The Euro mechanic here, as far as choosing different actions and then people piggyback on, and it's an area control game, so to speak, but then there's also a shipping and delivering element to it. Again, knock a thousand off. These are some great games. Shocking, surprising, but go beyond the typical list and you're going to find some great games to be played. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, like, I didn't get all the way through the list here because... Facebook refreshed on me midway through there, but like Carl <laughs> mentioned Castell as well, which sure. I think actually two, maybe other people on Twitter as well. So that's like a game that a lot of people seem to really, really like. There just aren't enough of them. So it's true. When you spread the word of Castell. It's true. Let's all get together, build a tower, and then we could yell it a lot further. So yeah, that works. It's in theme. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that our listeners will talk about. Let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. Yeah. So for me, this is 
a no-brainer. And I, I think I might even mention this in passing at some point, but certainly not in the acquisition disorders. But it is officially up on BGG, and it's in the hotness, and we'll talk about it later a little bit more. But Marco Polo 2. And I think that is actually the name of the game. The Marco Polo 2. Yeah. <laughs> Strikes back. Electric Boogaloo. It's, it, <laughs> it's got a subtitle in German, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'm sure I'll butcher it. But something to do with the con, right? Okay. So... So it's like im no no I'm not doing it you I almost like did it and I'm not doing it Star Trek Con were you going to yell Con well more like Genghis Con uh, yeah all right idea. yeah okay fine it works so this is a true sequel it looks like and but if you look at the board which there are pictures of on BGG it looks very similar to the original with almost everything being a little bit different so how people are describing it after like play testing it over the summer and the gathering of friends is like. It's a standalone game similar kind of to like how Brass Birmingham was to like Brass Lancashire, where the same core ideas, but slightly different mechanics to get there. Uh, So we have a new map, different areas that you're going to go through, new routes that are laid out a little differently. You have new characters, of course. There's new resources. Um, I think Jade might be one of the resources that they've added. Mm. And you actually have to get out of the city. You have to go to uh the various cities on the map to get the contracts now which seems a little bit more thematic i don't know enough about this other than the fact that it's a marco polo game and it's designed by simone luciani and daniel tashini so i'm gonna buy it sight unseen and we'll i'll tell you how it is later <laughs> so that's all i need to know uh voyages of marco polo is <laughs> in my top 10 games of all time this is one of my favorite euros hands down from two of my favorite designers hands down so I'm super excited for this, regardless of what they do with it. And hopefully we'll get a chance to play it soon. It's, yeah, right. It's coming out at Essen in German. I don't know when uh, Z-Man's bringing the uh, English version over, but hopefully not too long. Yeah, I remember when the original came out and there was some delays when getting the game to the US. Once it hit, it really made a big impact and it became, for a long time, and even probably so to this day, kind of the modern day euro for a lot of gamers out there you had castles of burgundy where everyone says well what about a euro castles of burgundy and concordia had that placement for some time too and then marco polo kind of came up and kind of took that that uh prestigious spot and i know you're super stoked about this but so am i i mean a standalone game and in the same universe so to speak and with the same designers. So I don't know what you could not like about this game. And I don't know. It's just it's just a great project. I'm really looking forward to yeah, seeing it. That's, that's really all there is to say at this point, because Hans and Gluck, the publisher, doesn't generally release a lot of information about their games ahead of time. So it's a secret until like three weeks from now. And then like a few hundred people will have it and they'll tell us all about it in German. So there you go. Somebody, somebody who speaks English and German, please pick this up and let me know how it is. All right. So a upcoming Kickstarter in the future in March, 2020 that I want to talk about is yet another game that's getting reprint and it's not necessarily out of print. So to speak, you could still probably find copies out there. Although the expansion jewelry box is not available and almost extremely, extremely hard to find. This is Rococo uh, from Matthias Kramer, Louis Maltz and Stefan Maltz. And this is going to be produced by Eagle Griffin Games. We're going to see a deluxe version of this with all new art and graphic design by Ian O'Toole. 
So if you're not familiar with Eagle Griffin games, especially on Kickstarter, typically the Vitalis Serta versions of his games, the production's usually outrageous, beautiful, fantastic. The colors, the artwork, the components, everything is top notch. I mean, literally, I mean, everything is just the finest collection of games that you can have these days. So Rococo, which is about this wondrous period of this opulence where all these beautiful outfits and fireworks and decorations and just so much beauty and gold and tapestries and every kind of just luxury possible. So to have a deluxe version of this makes a lot of sense. And I'm really lo- I'm really looking forward for this to come out. And in particular, I'm looking forward to the deluxe version of this. I already own the base game, have not been able to pick up the expansion. So yet this is another game in the long, long tradition, which probably started about a year or so ago, where will Chris keep his original copy or ditch his original copy and get the upgraded copy? So Right now, Chris is two for O. He passed up on Suburbia and passed up on Yido, both which he might regret later, but I don't know. Mercoco might be the one that actually might break the bank here, Anthony. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I Rococo is not like I've played it, I liked it. I don't like it enough to spend whatever hundred some dollars they're gonna ask for for this game. <laughs> but yeah. I I did back Suburbia. I passed on Yido, I actually sold my copy of Yido because I realized because of the Kickstarter I wasn't playing it. But Kanban, which is a game I do own from uh, Mr. Vitalis Erda, I'm going to back that. And I have a copy of that already that I'll probably pass on. So for me, it's like 50-50 when I uh, upgrade. And every time I do, I'm like, should I do this? I probably shouldn't do this. I'm going to do it. Ah." (laughs) Well, the only good news is no matter which way you go, if you have a copy of Rococo, just like if you had a copy of Eno and just like you have a copy of Suburbia, People are going to want to know if they should back it. So that means these games will get table time. So if you got a copy, throw it in your bag. It will actually see table time again. For those 30 days. <laughs> and never again again after it, unless you buy the expansion and the upgrades and spend $1,000 on components and shipping and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table, and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and enjoy them, or if those games are a dodge, they should avoid them at all costs, or if possible, those games are the dreaded burn, and you should just get rid of those and get out of there because that is not worth your time despite whatever one says to you on the news. Just not worth it. Don't do it. Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. I got the big one for the fall. I got Tapestry from uh, Stonemaier Games. And this was actually a review copy sent through by Stonemaier Games. So uh, I got a chance to play this a few times at different player counts as well as solo. And I wanted to kind of run down what I thought in all those different formats and let you guys know whether I think it's worth it. So I'm going to start with the, I guess, the elephant in the room the presentation, the production of the game, because that's the thing everybody's talking about because of the price. And I'm going to swing back to that at the end and let you know whether or not I think it's worth it or not. I'm not going to talk about that now, but just generally out of the box, production-wise, everything is fantastic, right? I, I can't argue with Stonemeyer production. I don't think anybody could, uh, you know, ignoring the price component completely. You have these beautiful, fully painted miniatures for all these different buildings. You have 
the individual small buildings uh, of which every player will have 20, you know, five of each color uh, of the four different types. You have the cards are nice, solid quality. The player mats, they're thinner than you might expect, but they have this really cool coating on them that makes sure no components slide on them. So you don't have to like inset things because they will not move. It's like this weird mat covering. Really, really like it. I think a lot of people could use that and maybe keep the cost of games down while they don't slide around like, you know, underwater cities or a terraforming Mars does. All great stuff. Looks fantastic. The board itself is a little blah, but part of that is just the nature of the game. So I'm, I'm very happy with how everything looks out of the box. So that's step one, right? The rules, actually learning the game, uh, step two, <laughs> I... First time I played this, uh, it was someone else's copy before my the review copy showed up, was interesting. The rule book is only four pages long. It seems very simple. It seems very quick, like you could pick it up and just knock it out. Bing, bang, boom. But the game is littered with iconography. It's littered with like different situations that maybe you wouldn't think about. That first game we played took about three hours, which is definitely longer than the game should take. And a lot of that time was checking the reference sheets, looking things up on BGG that weren't clear. There's a lot of like edge cases that I feel like could have been covered in the rules. These rules are way too short. So they're not poorly written. What's there makes sense. It's just not enough context for different situations that are going to come up. They came up in our first game several times. So these are things that ideally should have been like, fleshed out a little bit more, given a little bit more context, some more examples would have been fantastic. Um, I'm all for short rule books and getting into a game quickly, but we didn't get into the game very quickly. <laughs> so that was a problem. The, the next part of this is that the game is being marketed as a civilization game. And I listen, like I love civilization games. It's one of my favorite genres. I still have a copy of Sid Meier's Civilization. I have multiple GMT games that build on advanced civilization. I have a copy of Clash of Cultures. I have Imperial Settlers is one of my favorite games through the ages. These are some of my favorite games and I play them constantly. Like if you look at my top 50, there's like three or four of them in there. This is not really a civilization game. And the reason I say that is you need to have a few things for it to be a civ game. You need to have the four X's, of course, exploration, expansion, exploitation, extermination, and the game has maybe two and a half of those. It It's definitely played down in a couple places. And especially the way it's designed, you're just not going to do certain things that maybe you could, unless you, know, you have a civilization that forces you in that direction. The other part is the game is very, very mechanics-based. So let's just run through like how the basic idea of the game works. And there's been a lot of reviews on this. You've probably seen a lot of videos. I'm not going to like delve super deep into the mechanics of the game because you can go on YouTube and do that. But the basic idea is you have four different tracks on the board and on your turn, you're going to pick a track and move up on it, pay the cost to do that, and then do the things associated with it. Very, very simple, right? All the different iconography, however, allows you to create different chains and bonuses and effects that will trigger different things after you take your action. So you have the technology track, which allows you to get different technology cards, which ultimately allow you to get bonuses at certain times during the game, but also will score points based on your income track. You have the science track. The core mechanic here is that you will have a die that you can roll that allows you to move up on another track on the map. Sometimes you don't get the bonus when you do that. Sometimes you do. Uh, the exploration map allows you to discover new tiles, but also sometimes place those tiles on the map. And when you place them on the map, you usually get some kind of bonus 
as well as points, depending on what it's adjacent to. And then the military track, which is overstated to call it a military track. It's really just putting pieces on the map. There is a conquer mechanic, and most of the time you're just conquering empty spaces. You can conquer someone else's space, but there is a inherent risk in doing so because there are trap cards in the deck that if somebody plays them after you try to conquer them, they will conquer you instead. And oops, now you have one less space and you kind of wasted that action a little bit. There are a lot of trap cards in the deck. So honestly, after like the first, I don't know, round or so, nobody, nobody tries to topple anybody because you just don't want to waste that action. You don't really want to go for it unless you can look at somebody and see they have no tapestry cards in hand and there's no way they have a trap card, then sure, maybe you'll go for it then. But most of the time they have a few in their hand and you're like, I'm just not going to worry about it. So the military track ends up being more just about expansion and you score on that. So it's important to expand, but you just, there's not a lot of combat. And the, the combat mechanic itself is just like, tip their piece over, you win. And you can only have two pieces in a space. So nobody else can come in in there and fight you. There's no actual like extermination going on here. The sideboard that you have, your your capital city, is a kind of like a Sudoku grid. So you have nine three by three grids, and, or I guess four by four, that will have different dots on them. Some of them are blocked off where you can't place things. You will take little buildings off your personal mat and you'll place them there and that expands your income. You also, when you reach certain milestones, if you're the first person to reach certain points on each track, you'll get these big, huge painted buildings, right? They don't do anything. They're not, no bonuses, no special effects. They're just like basically polyominoes. Like the bases of the buildings are different shapes that you then try to match onto your capital city board and fill in spaces. You do this for a couple of reasons. If you fill in one of those little tiny grids, you get a bonus resource, which is just an action. If you then fill in like a complete column or row, that's points when you do your scoring. So it's important to fill those in, but it's not particularly exciting. It's very tactical. The civilization cards, like I said, they have just a lot of different asymmetrical powers that you can start the game with. I believe the rules just say to draw one. We've been doing like draw two or three, depending on the number of players and just pick one. They are incredibly variable. Some of them give you powers almost immediately. You know, you just, you can do a special thing every time you switch between eras. Other ones will have things like, you know, if this happens, then do this. Or if you happen to place, uh, you know, a, a, a marker out, if you conquer something, take it off of this sheet and you un unlock this extra bonus during income. So they seem unbalanced at first glance. They don't actually appear to be unbalanced at all. They're just not, they're very different in how you approach the game, which I think is good because it gives you like different ways to play things. There's different styles. Um, drawing them randomly is a little different because some people want to be more militaristic some people want to be more exploration focused. So maybe a draft them might be a better idea, but they are very interesting. The one thing I'll say about them is that there's a ton of text on every one of these cards. So if you're looking at a few of them, it can take a long time at the beginning of the game, especially for new players, just to read this huge laundry list of text about what it does. It would have been nice if they could have streamlined that a little bit. And finally, back to the four X's, I'll say you do have a bit of exploration. You're putting new tiles out there. There is a 
it's almost a puzzly mechanic though, because you're trying to just match the sides to each other to score points. Interesting, but definitely more abstract than I would like. Expansion. Uh, honestly, it's you just pushing your pieces out there. When you do it, you get to roll these dice and take a bonus from it. So that's kind of cool. But that's honestly, it's, there's not a ton of bonus there unless you're just focused on the military track. Exploitation. You don't really get a lot of benefit from the map itself, but you do have an income board. So the more pieces you pull off and put in your capital, you are going to generate income. It is an engine building game at its core. And then extermination is just not there at all. So <laughs> like I said, it's 2.5x. There's no combat. Maybe two or three topples per game if you're lucky. I don't see it happening very much. So my verdict on this, it's not much of a Civ game. It's a clever Euro mechanic with a Civ theme put on top of it. A few people that I played with had real issues with the fact that the technology deck is just one giant deck. There's no like eras mixed up. So for example, they were at the end of the exploration track, which means they were off into space, getting space tiles, and they were learning the technology for nails so they could, I don't know, nail boards together. I don't, it's, and I get that from a thematic standpoint, it's, it's kind of shallow. I don't mind those kinds of things in general, but it was such that I, I did see what they were, you know, where they were coming from there. The game starts pretty slowly, which I think is pretty standard for Stonemeyer games across the board. Um, they're, they're engine building games. They tend to be, and they start slow. That first era or so you're not going to get a whole lot done you're not going to generate much you have very few actions to start the game just four and it doesn't feel like you're going to do very much by the end of the game you've done a ton and that actually ends up being almost an issue because at the end of the game the way it ends up working is if you reach the end of an era you can just be done right you're like all right i'm done i'm going to the next era you skip ahead nobody else has to go with you there's no like rounds here you just go until you're ready then you reset and you go again if you get to the end, like the end of that fourth era, and you're done, you're done. And if somebody else is still in era three or four, and they have actions to take, you can go to the bathroom, you can get something to drink, you can grab a snack, the game's going to keep going without you. And that seems to happen fairly frequently, uh, depending on how people's engines are built. We had a couple of games where most people finished at the same time, and then a couple of games where everybody finished at very different times based on what they were doing. So that was a little frustrating for the people who were done early because then they have to wait like 45 minutes to play more game. Um, you know, including finishing the game, scoring, putting it away, all that stuff. It's, it's just part of it, but it is a thing to keep in mind. Like I said, the theme is super pasted on. It, there are certain parts of this that are Civ based for sure. The tapestry cards are probably the best part of the game. These are super powerful. They do amazing things. They really let you leverage, you know, the game in different ways. They have, add a lot of player interaction that's not there by default, which is really cool. But you only get to play three the entire game, unless you have like certain abilities that you build an extra one on top. So I wish you could play those more of those somehow. It reminds me of like the encounter cards in Scythe, where you're only going to get a handful of the whole game, even though they're amazing. So can I just somehow get more of these and do more cool stuff? That would be cool. Engine building in general is a lot of fun. I really like it. The solo game was probably my favorite way to play this, um, even though you had an automa and like a second shadow automa. So I had like all these extra things I had to do. It just let me focus on building my engine and doing cool stuff. Uh, the multiplayer, it dragged on a little bit, took a little longer, and we had a lot of references to check. Production is amazing. Cost is so high. 
I it's a hundred dollars and you know, a lot of games cost a hundred dollars these days. So I can't knock it for just costing a hundred dollars. But after playing the game, I just don't, I'm, I'm in the camp of people. I don't understand why we need these big giant miniatures for the buildings. They look really cool. It's a fantastic addition, but I'm sure it added 10 or $15 to the price. At least I think Jamie's even come out and said that it's like, Oh, if these weren't painted, it'd be like $10 difference. Great. Make them unpainted. In fact, I would have been fine if it was just like polyominoes, like little cardboard bits for your board. Could have gotten the game down to like wingspan price, maybe. And I don't, you know, I'm not the primary audience for like these big, you know, pieces and the, the tactile nature of it. You know, if you can hear my review for Era over on uh, Every Night It's Game Night, where I just really, really didn't like how much that game cost with all the extra big pieces when you could have just had a smaller <laughs> roll and write. But I just it's really hard to recommend it as a game to pick up at a hundred bucks when it has the issues that it has. It's a play for me. It's kind of a soft play. I didn't love it. I had fun, but I just don't think I'm going to play it a whole lot more. Like what the amount of times I've played it a for the review and B because it's the hotness right now. Everybody wants to give it a shot, but like I brought it to game night yesterday and nobody really wanted to play it. And most of those people had already played it once or twice with me and they just they're done with it so i don't i don't dislike the game at all if somebody brought it out i'd give it a go i'd be happy to teach it but i can't recommend picking it up at the price and you know i don't know it's a it's a play for me just barely um because i do really like the engine building aspects of it and i really like the tapestry card mechanic but there are issues there that i feel like need to be resolved and maybe will be with expansions down the line so that's tapestry yeah, it's really disappointing to hear, but I guess not tremendously unexpected. After the big success of Wingspan, it would make sense that Stolmeyer Games would want to capitalize on their popularity and that fantastic game. But, you know, it, it goes back to, I hate to say it, but it goes back to Kickstarter again. Jamie Stegmeyer kind of became somewhat of a modern day legend because of his great success and his campaigns on Kickstarter. And... As you mentioned, with the production here, there may have been a proper price point and production level that people could pick this game up, could explore and, and enjoy it, and then maybe pick up the upgrades later or as an add-on, or even if they wanted to purchase it straight out, that, that makes sense as well. Uh, it's just very sad to see that this production came out, especially you know, slathered with Civ written all over it and then not to meet that end point really, um, unfortunately kind of spoils things, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent with you too. Like if you look at Scythe, for example, that game is $80 MSRP, like without all the fancy bits, but then you can go buy all the fancy bits if you want them. Mm -hmm. And that's a bigger game with more content in the box. I don't think it has as many cards necessarily, or as many like miniature pieces, but I don't know that you need all those miniature pieces. <laughs> so, uh, like cubes would have been fine for those buildings. I, I know I know a lot of people are like hearing this and gasping. They're like, no, why would you do that? But I'm like, I would do that because then the game would only cost 50 or $60 sure. and it'd be easy to recommend. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. And I think that's, uh, you know, we're getting to a point where there's a barrier of entry and that's a shame because there are some really great games and, you know, not every game is going to be the most fantastic thing ever, but if it's a solid play and it gets table time, it may need to be at a price point where you can actually get it to the table instead of missing out completely because the price point is so high 
that you actually can pick it up and bring it to the table. And just to clarify too, like, because I know a lot of people, we've actually had comments on some of our like YouTube posts that, oh, I mean, you know, people want to have like the biggest, best, most beautiful copy. I'm with you. Like, if you look at my game shelf, it is covered in big, huge, expensive productions of my favorite games. And I'm happy to spend $100 on a game that I think is fantastic, right? I have like all Lacerda Deluxe Editions. Those are amazing. But for a game that, like you said, is just like a solid play or maybe even a light play, $100 is like, ooh. Like this needs to be a really good game to justify that price. And to me, it's not. So that's why it's middling review. I think you'd hear a slightly different review if this was a $50 game. Like my Wingspan review is probably a little more generous even though i didn't love that game because it's more affordable and accessible to people or is this one is just it's too much to ask for i think yeah and i think this goes back to our earlier discussion where once upon a time when we looked at the price of games we kind of substantiated it based upon the complexity of mechanics or the innovative design or the sleekness of the play but here it's just the the cost is because of the components not that the game is bad, it's just the cost of the components just rose it to a level where it's just not playable, unfortunately, in certain circumstances. But uh, I hope to get a chance to play it someday and check it out. All right, so I want to talk about a yet another game that abstracts to pretty much is just a straight up abstract game. This is Hedera. Now, I want to mention that we've already done a review for Hedera. Our friend Jen came in on episode 231. Check it out. She talked about Hedera Online. In particular, she also mentioned that the reason why she hadn't played it at the table was because it was also very expensive. And it was just, for her, it was a little bit too much to actually get it to the table. I haven't picked this up myself, but I did get it to the table a couple of times. And, you know, once again, as we were just talking about previously, there is a price point. And there is an abstract level of gaming or abstraction of a theme or abstraction of a theming that, you know, we all accept at a certain level. It's, you know, these are board games. These are clearly not simulation games, so to speak. So Hedera is all about playing a civilization game in three separate areas. And you are managing four different areas of your economy. So you have your gold income. You have your military track, you have your culture track, and you have your food production. So in the game, you are going to select an initial card, and that card will have a cost, which you'll have to pay in gold. And typically, if not all the time, that card is going to give you a bonus to one or more of your tracks. So if you pick up a yellow card, typically it's going to give you a bonus to your yellow track, but it is possible it might also give you bonuses to other tracks or just have a special ability that'll score you big bonus points at the end of the game. One of the interesting mechanics of this game is you have your player board and you have your tracks. And as you build up your tableau, the cards will be placed on the bottom. And once you purchase one, you'll pay full price. And then for every additional card in that set, you'll pay one less. And that's really necessary because by the third age, the cards get extremely expensive. Now, through the different ages, if you reached a certain military point, you'll be able to conquer a region, which is going to give you some bonus resources. If you reach a certain point in the culture track, you'll be able to chisel out a statue, so to speak. And both of those are going to score you resources and points in the game. And then, 
you will also have an opportunity to purchase upgrades and awards. You can purchase these big gold medals that are going to give you a set collection mechanic. You can also purchase smaller rewards that are going to give you either a bonus to your production tracks or will actually score you victory points based upon that particular track. So pretty much you pick a card, then everyone goes around and you pick from that little middle strange kind of pentagon table of different cards. You'll build up your tableau. You'll adjust your tracks. As I said, military culture, wash, rinse, repeat, pick up the bonuses as you can because they do get more expensive later. This game has come down in price since it hit the U.S. It's no longer as crazy expensive. I think it was running somewhere close to $70 as far as an import. I think now you can get it for about $50, you know, around that price, depending on what online store you, you deal with. And because it's around $50, even though it is abstracted out a civilization game, at no point did I feel like I was building a civilization. Despite the artwork is very nice, there really isn't anything that connects thematically the game or the cards together. I did enjoy the game. I thought it was a fun game. It's probably something I would want to add to my collection if the price point was correct. Fast-paced, interesting, engaging, card building, nothing overly complex, just some interesting decisions on which cards you pick. That is Hedera, and it gets a solid play for me. I've been meaning to play this one for a while. Like, I actually pre-ordered it off of, like, a UK store, I think, and then they sent me a version in Spanish, which, I mean, the, the, the game doesn't have... It's language independent except, like, the player aids, but it has made it difficult to actually learn and teach the game because people want those player aids. So I still have not played it. But it seems like the kind of abstracty type of thing I might like. Yeah, it is. And it just... it's a It's a solid kind of, like seven wonders level of complexity maybe a little bit less because it is more abstracted and you're not building unique sets so to speak but it's fine it's a fine game i i'll definitely play it again maybe we'll see it add to the collection if i get at the right price point all right anthony so that's everything that's hitting our table definitely check those games out anthony let's get on to our feature review so for our feature review this week, we are taking a look at BGG, Board Game Geek Hotness. We are talking about the hottest games that everyone's talking about, and we are running through the top 15 games on the list. Anthony, why don't you talk about what is hitting the charts this week and why it matters? All right, yeah, so we're going to run through the top 15. Uh, so I'm just going to dive right in with number 15. This is a game I actually got a chance to check out at Gen Con. It is called Time of Legends Destinies, and it is a co-production between Lucky Duck Games and the developers behind Time of Legends Joan of Arc, which is the big epic Joan of Arc production, I believe by Monolithic. And it like the same people who did like uh, Batman and Age of Conan and all those games. And it is an app-supported, story-driven RPG dot 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 slash board game right? Uh, it is all stories within this world and you tap the different things in the app and talking to them, there's, they talk about this as like, it's a single flow through that you play through the story. It is very much like an RPG. You're not just going to go back and play it again. But if it's anything like Chronicles of Crime, which was Lucky Duck's other like huge, huge hit, 
we should see some interesting stuff with the scan and play technology that they use to scan the cards and the abilities and the items. I'm looking forward to seeing how this does. It's on Kickstarter right now, and that's why it's on here. I'm not backing it, of course, but it does look really cool, and I want to see what they do with it. Number 14 on the list is Awkward Guests. So this is a card game that came out of, I guess, a few years ago. Uh, it's hot right now, again, because it is being re, I guess, introduced um, into the, the gaming world and recently had a review uh, by, I believe, Tom Vassell of Mr. Dice Tower fame. So it is getting a lot of coverage at the moment as it kind of reenters the, the hobby game market. Uh, don't know a ton about it other than that it's kind of like a murder mystery style game, deduction game based on their quote unquote brilliant deck system uh, that kind of it just helps guide people through the mystery. It sounds interesting. I don't know enough about it to like back it or track it down necessarily, but I, I do want to see like what they do with this. So that is at number 14, Awkward Guests. Uh, wait, so at number 13, we have Madeira. Uh, we talked about this last week a little bit. It's designed by Nuno Bizarro Santero and Paulo Soledade. And it's from What's Your Game? The new Deluxe Collector's Edition is on Kickstarter right now. So if you know the game and want to pick up a super expensive, fancy version of it, you can do so right now. And if you don't know the game, then you can check that out and see if it's for you. Um, we will almost certainly get a chance to play this hopefully in the next couple of years based on just it's a big heavy euro so we have to play this so it's coming next up is arkham horror the card game uh the new expansion bit came out just this last week and apologies i don't remember the exact name of it i do have it on pre-order though because <laughs> i have a, a subscription at my local store but new content means this jumps up in the rankings as it does every month and uh yeah it's the best lcg in my eyes and we'll see how marvel champions does when it comes out next month uh, next up on the list, we have Black Angel. This is the big, huge, epic uh, Euro production based on the original Twa design by the Pearl Games team, designed, you know, artwork by Ian O'Toole. It is, I love it. It's an absolute buy for me. You can listen to my review a few episodes back, and it's just continues to stay up here in the hotness as people get their hands on it. I know some people like Twa a little bit better. It's gotten some mixed reviews, but I still think it's fantastic and well worth checking out. So definitely deserves to be up here. Uh, next up is Brass Birmingham. And this one is, uh, I believe they shipped in another batch of this, possibly to people who might have backed the Iron Clay's Kickstarter that was up last year. So that's why it's jumped back up in the rankings. This is the number 11 game of all time on PGG. It just rocketed to the top. It's my favorite version of Brass over the original version. It's just a masterpiece of a board game. Martin Wallace is best, in my opinion. So definitely, definitely deserves to be up here. And I'm glad more people are getting a chance to play it now that new copies are hitting the market. Next up is Liftoff. This is a new game from Jerwan Vandersteen, um, originally from Hansem Gluck. Zimayan is publishing a, cop a version here in the U.S. And it's been on the pre-order list for a long time, but it is a card drafting game kind of medium weight euro about space travel very colorful very interesting looking i've had this on my to check out list for like nine months now because they still have not released it so hopefully it comes soon this is like an essen release from last year so definitely being delayed for some reason or another but very excited to finally get my hands on this when it hits the market here in the u.s uh, next on the list is terraforming mars so 
no new content here that I'm aware of other than the expansion, the turmoil expansion that is very close to being done. Um, they mentioned should have that done by the end of the year and get that out to backers. But otherwise, nothing new here. It's just one of the top games on BGG. So there you go. It's in the top. <laughs> that's usually when we get up here, that's why a lot of these are here. So uh, next one is Gloomhaven. Same thing. Again, another top-rated game. There are some rumors floating around about Isaac Childress announcing not only a new game in the Gloomhaven universe, but a new expansion for Gloomhaven here in the next few months. So a lot of people are kind of buzzing about those things. Uh, something to keep an ear out for if you're a Gloomhaven fan. Uh, we have Nemesis next on the list. This is from Awaken Realms and Rebel and designer Adam. I'm not. It's Polish. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's Adam Kopinski. I'm sure that's not how I'm supposed to say it. But this is like, it looks like Alien, the board game. I've seen a lot of good things about this. I saw the, the original Kickstarter was up a while ago. It's, it's getting out to backers now. They did have it for play at Gen Con. So I got a chance to like look over people's shoulders and kind of see how it flows. It seems very interesting. It's not just another miniatures on a map kind of game. It's got a lot of unique mechanics going on with it. So something to keep an eye out if that's your theme that you're interested in. Uh, Wingspan, of course, always up here on the list. It is up to number 35 overall. It is the number one family game on BGG. Uh, I don't see this going anywhere. And Stonemeyer should be announcing the expansion sometime in the next few months. I know that's coming down the pipe as well. So more Wingspan coming your way. Everdell is up here near the top of the list at number four. And that is because of the current expansion that is on Kickstarter. Uh, we have... Already, we have the Pearlbrook expansion, and then we're going to have two new expansions that are coming with this uh, Kickstarter that they're running right now uh, with Spirecrest and Belfair. So one of those is like a big box, and the other one's a little bit smaller, but just a whole, whole bunch of new content, as if this game couldn't take up any more of your table, right? So <laughs> this is this is one of my favorite games the last couple of years, so I'm just happy for more stuff. I backed it, uh, just to throw that out there so you know. Um, looking forward to seeing what they do with these new expansions. Uh, number three is the game I talked about in my acquisition disorder today. That is Marco Polo 2. Um, again, subtitle in German. Not going to butcher that for you guys, but it is more Marco Polo from Simone Luciani and Daniel Tashini. Hansem Gluck should be releasing at Essen based on the rumors, and uh, I will be buying this as soon as I physically can in English, hopefully. <laughs> Number two is Zona, The Secret of Chernobyl. This is a, another game from uh, Polish publisher Rebel, and it is very much like the post-apocalyptic style adventure board game. So just there's a lot of these on Kickstarter. People love them. I don't know enough about them to really speak to it or compare it to anything, but it seems very story driven. They've released several short stories already about these characters, which is great because sometimes these games are like, where it's a story game and they don't really dive too much. I'm interested to see how this plays out because it is not at all a game for me, but I love the idea of more narrative, like actually focused planned narrative in board games. And this is, it's great when I see it. And then number one at the top of the list is the game I reviewed today, Tapestry. And for good reason, I think this one is, I mean, 10,000 people just got a copy of it from the pre-orders. Another 15,000 people are about to get copies from their local stores and online stores as this hits full distribution. So pretend this just shipped from a Kickstarter to 25,000 people, and that's why it's at the top of the list. 
lots and lots of people playing this game right now. So there you have it. All 15 games on the BGG hotness and why they're there right now. All right. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.